what's going on everybody it's your boy jordan and this is desmond and welcome to episode 182 of two black nerds Nerd. that's right it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom pop culture and entertainment as always you can find two black nerds wherever you get your podcasts please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support and of course join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on twitter instagram and tiktok at two black nerds we appreciate that love y'all and let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at two black Go check out our Two Black Nerds Forever collection, inspired by Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We got t-shirts, crewneck, titty stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be revisiting the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. From their initial introduction in the classic 2014 film to their most recent appearance in the holiday special, we'll be discussing all of the most memorable moments featuring our favorite group of intergalactic outlaws. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking out this week's podcast with a brief conversation about our relationship to the Guardians of the Galaxy in the MCU. So... Ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is the next MCU movie, we thought it would be a good exercise to just take a trip down memory lane and revisit really one of the most iconic Marvel properties that we've seen over the past 10 to 15 years in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's been such a hugely successful franchise for Marvel Studios, and they've obviously gone back and back again to make more iterations of these characters and to tell more stories. But before we do a deep dive into all the movies and appearances from the respective characters in the MCU, man, I just kind of want to start and get your general thoughts about the Guardians and your relationship overall to these characters, especially within the context of the MCU. Would you say that they're your favorite characters that you've seen be introduced into this larger universe? Have they contributed to some of your favorite memories overall? What's just your you know general standing as it relates to the Guardians within the MCU? Man, they'll always have, I think, a special place in my heart when it comes to the MCU. And I'll tell this story a million times. But I got to see this movie a couple days early when I was working at the movie theater. I worked in the movie theater in college. Maybe this, maybe this was around 2014, summer 2014. My boss is like, hey, we, we need to screen this movie. Are you trying to watch this? I was like, well, of course, <laughs> I want to watch this thing. But it ha- also, it had to be in 3D. So I end up watching Guardians of the Galaxy uh, about three, four days earlier than most people in 3D. And uh, it absolutely knocked my socks off. I had no idea what to expect <laughs> and what I was going to see. But that that memory will always live in my mind. Not only that, but this was, again, one of the one of those earlier Marvel films where characters are being introduced that people didn't talk about outside of the MCU, right? You know, we're coming into the MCU. People know who Iron Man is. He may not be everybody's favorite at the time before Iron Man comes out, but people know who Iron Man is. People know who Captain America is, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man. Everybody knows X-Men. But who the hell are the Guardians of the Galaxy? Everyone was like, what is this film? What is it going to be? And so, again, after I watched that film and James Gunn introduces me to the, this this ragtag team of random people I had never really heard of before, of course, a little bit. You know, I was in the comic world, so I knew of them, but I didn't know who they were. And I think that taking that time in that movie to learn about who they were, man, again, will always have a special place in my heart because we hadn't got... I think a movie with that kind of team up with like the movie is the team versus there. Of course there's Avengers and there, those are multiple movies put together, but this is a movie about the team from the beginning, right? This is like the root (laughs) of how they came together. And so uh, I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed also how I think imperfect they were, which is why what also tied me, I think to the group, none of them were great people, to be honest. They all had their flaws. They were all, they all created mischief somewhere in the universe. Shoot, they met in a prison. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if, if you put it like that, um, and, and so 
the they uh yeah they have plenty of stories i think throughout the mcu um which i love and and, and have become accustomed to and moments that are my favorite man favorites man um i i can name shoot so many uh parts of the guardians i think about shoot really infinity war i love when guardians even meet other people and so you know when when star lord star lord pours up on iron man and spider man in in the guardians in that moment i really love moments like that but i also love uh, uh just normal uh guardians moments that allow i think us to be like oh now they're a team like something very cliche like the we are group scene <laughs> right that that's just so memorable of a moment at the end of guardians um that we get but man again other than that they are just uh uh again one of those early i think iterations of what a team is supposed to look like we didn't get fantastic four in the mcu we didn't get x-men in the mcu we got guardians <laughs> um and i really i think appreciate that and i think i always will so yeah they're very special place yeah, I mean, just their incorporation into the larger story that was being told was certainly one of the things that I raised an eyebrow to at the time when you heard this name, Guardians of the Galaxy. Similar to you, I had heard of them before. I had heard the name be said, but I just was not familiar with the characters or what they were going to bring to the story that they were telling in live action. And at that particular time, when we're thinking about 2012, 2013, as the movie was being developed, Marvel was cer certainly riding a high. They were coming off of the success of the first Avengers movie, which overperformed, I think, everybody's expectations and really kickstarted everything that we've seen out of them over the past 10 years. But to then go back and still take another risk and to still do something that was unexpected mm -hmm. just could not have been forecasted, I think, by a lot of people. Because when you see a studio produce movies that become successful, I think the, the, the regular thinking is oftentimes they'll just go back to the well of what's already worked. Whereas we see with Marvel Studios, at least at that particular time, they were still trying out new things and still trying to find their footing and introducing new characters that were super risky, especially for just how they were going to relate to other characters and how they were going to, you know, weave into the overall story and tapestry of everything that they were trying to achieve. And so they have produced the Guardians of the Galaxy team within the MCU. They have produced some of my favorite moments. They produce some of my favorite characters, most emotional moments as well. And just time and time again, every time I see these characters or get a whiff that they're going to be a part of something or come back, I get super excited just because they're unpredictable in a way that you can't really manufacture just because of their actual construct and how they came together as a team mm -hmm. within their story that's also reflected in just the other stories that are being told whether it's in a bigger crossover event or whether it's an animation or whatever the case may be it's just always this really interesting integration of their sensibilities and their styles within everything else that's happening with the more grounded characters like an iron man or a captain america per se but let's you know rewind the clock a little bit let's go back to the time of pre-guardians of the galaxy before the movie had actually came out as I said, Marvel was certainly riding a high. The Avengers came out in 2012, dominated the box office, kind of ruled the world. And from then on, they were nearly unstoppable. They were just mm -hmm. dropping hit after hit. They had their plans to move forward with. And everybody was just very, very thirsty for what Marvel was going to do. And we had also had some, some suspicions of what the what the huge, big, epic crossover might look like because they mm. teased out Thanos at the end of the Avengers. And so people yep. were wondering, like, well, where is Thanos going to come into this whole plan? And then out of nowhere, we started to hear the rumblings that 
Marvel Studios were starting to develop a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Kevin Feige first mentioned it, I believe, in 2010 at Comic-Con that year. So we're talking four years away from it actually being released. But then as we got closer to 2014, we started to hear more and more that this was going to become a reality. They started to look for directors and cast people. James Gunn himself eventually signed on. He was coming off of two hit successes, I would say, relatively to their to their scale in both Slither and Super. And then they were also obviously looking to fill out their cast, which was somewhat of a mixture of people that we knew, like Zoe Saldana or Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket, but then also like some more unknown, unproven talent, so to say. If you watch Parks and Rec, you probably knew Chris Pratt, but he was playing mostly supporting roles. Dave Bautista, if you were a fan of WWE, like we were, we knew who he was, but he might not have been Mm -hmm. as public of a figure in Hollywood as as other folks within that movie. So you started to hear all these things, and it was just like, well, what is this movie going to be? Like, how is this going to tie into anything? It's supposed to be this big, epic space opera, this intergalactic adventure. What do you remember about that time when you were just hearing about the movie before you ever saw it, before you actually saw a trailer or a first look from the film? How did you overall just feel about the the thought and the idea that they were going to explore this really untapped territory of the Marvel Universe? Man, I didn't know what to expect because even uh, at that time, I think everything's coming together. And as you said, even even the actors behind this feel ragtaggy. You know what I mean? They all feel like different corners of acting. And then they 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 say, oh, yeah, Vin Diesel is going to be the voice of Groot. You're like, what? (laughs) What are we talking about here? Like, what is this? What are we really saying? It's it, it. it really is a weird, I think, moment in time because you have no idea what to expect. But I, what I do remember is uh, not, necess- not necessarily the Avengers, but I do remember really liking that first Thor and the space of it all and what it looked like. And, and, and I remember being like, man, if they can, Guardians of the Galaxy, if they can make this movie look <laughs> as good as this movie is, I think I'm going to love it. And of course, you know, later we find out Guardians looks great. <laughs> but I, I, I do remember being, I think, hopeful for... I think that just the excitement of that, the excitement of there being uh, another intergalactic adventure somewhere out there, especially um, given one, I really like space, but two, I feel like that was, when we're talking about TV shows on our podcast, you, you know, I always talk about, or really phase four in general, I've said many times, it's time to get weird, but even Guardians 1, if you really want to talk about it, is one of the earliest times that we get weird. It's not the main cast that we're used to, but uh, it is definitely outside of the norm in space. It's a team we don't know, planets we don't know, galaxies we don't know, and so I remember being excited for that idea as well, and that was the idea I think that was being presented, and that's what also uh, had me really excited. So I remember being excited about those things, but also very, very confused about whatever this these, this casting was of characters. That was what, probably one of the biggest things that was throwing me off. Yeah, I mean, to, to what you just said about sort of the cosmic nature of, of these characters in this story, prior to Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor definitely started to tap into that idea. They, they, they started to play with the idea that, you know, oh, magic and science are interlinked. They're one and the same where we come from, such as Asgard. And in the Avengers, the first film, you saw aliens invade Earth. You saw Thanos' army, the Chitauri come to Earth. But we had never really had a true 
space opera happen within the context of the MCU. They hadn't really gotten to that level just yet. And this was going, going to be the first exploration into that that really wide and unknown area of the Marvel Universe, at least in live action. And that's what most excited me. Like, oh, we're actually going to start to see some intergalactic species and characters because, as you know, comic readers, you know, all of that stuff is out there. You've you've read the stories of these, you know, these really extraterrestrial creatures and other civilizations, the Kree and the Skull and Dark mm-hmm. Phoenix stuff, like all of that stuff has been there. But to finally see it in live action, them just like dive in completely head first, that just got me super excited. And then as I started to see the cast come together, I'm just like, okay, well, if they are finding these very specific people who you just wouldn't have initially conceived in your pitch for this film, there must be a very, very specific take on these characters that we're just not privy to yet because you don't just cast Dave Bautista. You don't just cast (laughs) Zoe Saldana. You don't just Mm -hmm. cast Bradley Cooper to voice, you know, this this raccoon. Like, all of this stuff, it, it at least signaled to me, like, oh, wow, they are taking still at this point which was about, what, six, seven years in the MCU, they're still taking chances and risks. Like, Mm -hmm. Iron Man 1, huge risk. They bet the entire studio and the longevity of the studio on that movie, and it worked, thankfully. The Avengers was another huge risk. The idea of bringing together all these characters from separate franchises and making it cohesive and pulling it off, huge risk, and it worked. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, just a couple of years later, they're like, we're going to make a space opera and it's going to be weird and directed by James Gunn, who comes from Troma Studios and has only directed like smaller indie movies. And Mm -hmm. this is his first time directing a big budget blockbuster. And the guy from Parks and Rec is going to be the lead. Like, okay, (laughs) like we're just going to see how it works. Right. And so I just started to hear all this stuff and I'm like, okay, this feels different. This feels super exciting. And I'm here for it. I'm definitely into it because if the MCU is going to continue to grow and evolve, we have to go to these places that maybe on the surface feel uncomfortable and feel unknown. But when you see the vision and when you get the idea and the story behind it, it all snaps into focus and starts to make sense. And so I just remember being super excited. And then that first trailer drops, which I will never, ever, ever forget that moment. I remember going into 2014, getting very excited about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. which the first cap at that particular time, I wasn't a huge fan of. I've grown to love it more over the years in hindsight. Yeah. But at that time, I'm like, you know, Cap 1 was okay, but I'm looking for more. Saw the stuff for Cap 2, and I'm like, okay, this looks more my speed. And then right before Cap 2 comes out, you know, we're about five or six months away from the release of Guardians, and we get that first trailer. And you hear Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede in the trailer, and you get the introduction of these characters. Yeah. You get the, the middle finger moment from Peter Quill. You get the rundown mm-hmm. of everybody a part of this group. And I just remember looking at that like, oh, I had no idea it was going to look like this. But what, what do you remember about first seeing that trailer and just like getting that initial flavor from James Gunn in terms of what he was trying to execute with the style? Yeah, I remember, I think just, I, I could not believe how really the middle finger from Peter, Peter Quill in that trailer like threw me off completely. Because I was like, wait a second, MCU? Because <laughs> up until that point, not completely right, but we had been really clean. Of course, like Iron Man as a character isn't the most clean character. I mean, he done done all kind of <laughs> crazy stuff in those movies. But there's something about, uh, uh, I think, the upfront craziness of what the Guardians brought in that trailer. And, and, and I'll also, I remember the trailer being so, I think, focused on music, which, again, you could even tell before the movie comes out. you like, this is a very musical trailer. Is this, I feel like the movie... It's meant to feel the way this music feels as well. And, and, and of course, that ends up totally being right. And James Gunn makes music a big part of that of that project. But I remember being like, oh, man, what is this? This is something we've never gotten before. This is very different. And 
people are flipping off cameras in the trailer oh yeah it's time we have arrived this is different <laughs> than what we've gotten this is not the the necessarily the goody two-shoes avengers that we've gotten even though we know the avengers has have their flaws right but their public perception is very different and then you see the trailer for guardians you're like these people suck like in a good <laughs> way though you're like dang these are not necessarily the nicest people on the earth and this is this is what uh we're making this into i i instantly loved it i love the trailer i love what james gunn was going for i love the music and i was just excited to see what was going to happen next man because i it, again it was so refreshing to get something like that at the time i remember just like being on campus in school at that point i was in my last semesters of, of undergrad and i remember that trailer coming out and people knew i was like a huge marvel fan especially with the movies and i was just i was showing that trailer to anybody that would give me time i'm like Y'all got to see what they're doing right here, because I don't think y'all understand the direction mm -hmm. that they're going to go in. This is unlike anything else in terms of like superhero cinema that they that they've done. And, and we should we should be really acknowledging this and we should be really excited about this. And I just remember watching that trailer so many times, just so shocked and surprised because of that direction and because of that, that 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 influence of the music and the style and just the weirdness of it all, mm -hmm. too, because we just hadn't really experienced anything like that before. And I'm like, OK, now they're getting they're getting into the comics. Like now it feels like we are really tapping into like Marvel Comics lineage and we're, we're, we're really starting to, you know, really open up the, the, the floodgates to just all this weird and wacky stuff that we've seen all these years that can be, you know, made possible on the big screen. And so it just made me super excited. And then, of course, the movie comes out. It, it finally does release. And once again, it just overperformed, I think, by all measurements, all expectations. The movie comes out and it's a massive, massive hit. It makes somewhere in the vicinity of like $750 million worldwide at the box office, maybe even more than that. Obviously, it was a critical darling. People people really loved it and took to the story. And, and to focus in on the story, and I, I do want to talk about this movie and just like what it was able to accomplish within the two plus hours of, of, of what James James Gunn put together, it, it was the introduction. It was the foundational piece that brought all of these members together and, and, and these people who on the surface have nothing in common, but all come from some sort of past traumatic experience in their lives. And mm. now we have a story that's sort of focused on found family in, in the most unexpected places, right? Because you get Peter Quill, who gets yeah. abducted from Earth. You get Gamora, who, who's coming off of the heels of a very manipulative relationship with her father and Thanos. Mm -hmm. Drax is obviously sort of in a, in a state of reeling from the deaths of his loved ones, his wife and his daughter while he's in prison. Groot and Rocket are just, you know, out here sort of like bounty hunters, you know, completing jobs. They're all just coming from such wildly different places. And somehow they find their way together, you know, due to a few incidents that just, you know, coincidentally kind of brought them in the same space and time. What do you think just about the story and how James Gunn and, and his team constructed they're meeting up and, and, and them establishing that really strong bond between them that we see we see communicated so often now, this idea of family between them. But it all really kind of started within that movie from such these dis disparate places. Yeah, I think there was a somewhat of a, of, of a disconnect in the MCU at the time for, I think, the idea of a family. Sure, it's a thing now. Sure, you could call the Avengers that, but they were the Avengers come together when they need to come together, right? Versus Guardians are, they're literally a group of people who spend all the, they're all their time together, you know, at some point in time. And I think James Gunn seen that. I think he was like, okay, we don't have Fantastic Four. <laughs> I think, I very much think that was a, a, a proponent in all of this. He was like, we don't have them. But we, there are small elements, I think, and ideas from that team that we can take and have a team that is always together. And I think he even asked himself a question. One, why did they come together? 
but even more importantly, why did they stay together at the end of the day? And I think that's a, a tremendous way to approach things. You even just said it. They all come from these different traumatic walks of life. Something happened to them. Gamora and Thanos have a weird relationship. Shoot, Drats and Thanos have a terrible relationship as his family gets slaughtered. So slash Ronan the Accuser, you know what I mean? There's And, and, and there's just uh, uh, enough enough there of trauma for you to say okay i can relate to that because there are other characters again at this time in the mcu 2014 you can't really relate to 100 percent yet i think they make them some of them more relatable down the line for instance thor a lot of us had could not relate to thor that much you know what i'm saying very specifically being shunned by your father is like a i'm sure it happens to somebody but you know what i'm saying it's not necessarily like something you see in an in somebody's everyday life but come to guardians of the galaxy and i think people can relate to uh uh maybe not knowing what they want to do in life you know what i mean maybe people can relate to um i'm kind of on my own but i have this talking tree who's my best friend as well like i don't know so there's just small little i think ideas of friendship and and uh, uh i guess bad experiences that brought this team together and i think that gave people a little bit more to chew on than the per again the public perception that is captain america than the public perception that does end up being iron man at some point we know he's not perfect at all but you know what i'm saying that public perception i think is different and so he gave us characters that we could grow with not only as individuals but as a team who who have those traumatic experiences and so i love that approach i thought it stuck with me because uh I love team ups, but I I like team ups even more when you're like these dudes are they are terrible together. What is going to happen here? I love team ups even even more when it's like that as well. So yeah, that is that I I, I love that James Gunn went that direction, and I think I'll always I think remember the first time I was like, oh yeah, I see what you're doing here, James Gunn. So yeah, yeah, I think uh, from a story perspective, I, I was always impressed by how organically they came together within that movie. Like it all mm-hmm. made sense at that particular time and place. Gamora and Nebula, their relationship to Ronan and also Thanos, as you mentioned, Drax being a very integral part of that. Peter Quill, you know, sort of being out and about, you know, just trying to find treasure and finding this orb, which is kind of that one that one MacGuffin within the movie that not only ties them together, but ties the larger MCU Infinity Saga together because that was all a part of the bigger plan for Thanos to acquire these Infinity Stones. We even saw them revisit that idea in Avengers Endgame when they go back to Morag in 2014. So all of that stuff just... At the time, they, they couldn't have known that it was all going to be able to tie up so nicely by the mm-hmm. end of the Infinity Saga. But I, I think we have to give credit to the to the you know filmmaking crew and to James Gunn for just having the wherewithal to put these pieces in motion for them to organically come together in that way. And then have that shared experience of previous trauma that they're probably not ready to communicate, but they all can kind of see it in each other, that they're damaged to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And Rocky, we're going to see a lot more of his backstory in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Even him has that traumatic backstory, but then they are able to move past that. They're able to still embrace each other and find this family within each other, even even if they disagree, even if they say really mean things to each other, and they're calling Rocket all sorts of animals that he actually is not. They're calling him Rabbit and Fox <laughs> and whatever else it may be. Mm-hmm. It's that funny humor, but that dark humor at the same time that comes from these painful places in their life, which yeah. makes it super understandable. Because I know a lot of us as humans, we tend to use laughter and jokes and quips as a way to deflect our pain and to deflect the things that, that have hurt us in the past. And all of that stuff just felt super relatable. And I remember watching the movie thinking like, 
damn, this tree and this raccoon and this this alien, this green alien, like they all have more in common with me than than some other people I've just you know recently met in real exactly. life. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's weird that it that it's shaped out that way, but that was absolutely the case. I do want to talk about some specifics within this movie though. First and foremost being the soundtrack. The soundtrack was such a statement that was made by James Gunn. He knew what he was doing when he put this movie together. He actually said about the soundtrack, he said a quote here that I want to read quickly. He said, quote, it's striking the balance throughout the whole movie through something that is very unique, but also something that is easily accessible to people at the same time, end quote. So I remember watching this movie and thinking, okay, I know like maybe three fourths of these songs. I've heard them before, but I don't know and remember where I heard them from. But now I'm only going to associate this song with this movie. Like when you hear Pina Colada, I cannot think of anything else besides Guardians of the Galaxy at this point. Mm-hmm. And like a song like Cherry Bomb, I had heard it before, but it was never used in the way that it was used in this movie to like mm-hmm. ramp up to the third act and to get you really excited about the final battle that was going to take place. But then there was also a bunch of stuff that I had never just really tapped into before because he pulled so many songs from the 60s and 70s, which is an era that he grew up with. So things that he probably remembers, but if you grew up in a in a Gen X or maybe even a millennial context, you might not have ever heard of I'm Not In Love, which is like the opening song of the mm. movie. Yep. But these are not just songs that are included for the sake of having a soundtrack. Like they are actually weaved into the story. They're very much a part of the fabric of everything that happens. So much so that you see Peter Quill has an awesome mixed volume one soundtrack. He has a record cassette tape because it, it was given to him from his mother, you know, which is a very sentimental gift. And so this was very much a part of the fabric of the story. What were your thoughts on just like hearing this music, maybe some of it for the first time, maybe hearing some songs again, just mm-hmm. within this new context and overall how it tied to the to the character's development and, and most importantly, Peter Quill's development throughout the story? Oh man, I am a music driven person. Um, and a lot of times if, if music drives a movie, I think in the correct way. There's a couple movies that just don't do it right. But if a movie, music can drive a movie, I think in the correct way, I will always, I think, find myself gravitating towards that project. And Guardians very much did that very early for me. James Gunn very much did that very early for me, like you said, in that first Guardians, because they made he made music as part of Peter Quill's personality, right? Like you said, he gets the the, the, the tape from his mom. He's always listening to a Walkman all the time. And so it, it just becomes, I think, an opportunity to insert some personality into the into the score and into and into the movie and even more importantly into Peter Quill. Um, so I I I'll never forget the opening, you know, of of Guardians cuz it's all music. You know, it's literally all music. He's dancing. And uh, it's fun. Guardians 2 starts the same way. <laughs> Groot is dancing. And so I, I I just remember really loving I think that idea of I think a soundtrack being almost a, a, a character in a movie because that's what it is here um and, and hearing some of those throwbacks that i had heard before whether it was i mean i don't know i i think i knew pretty much every song that was on there and i like you said i don't know how though they're just songs that i've heard over time it could have been a guitar hero song it could have been something that was in an, a 60s or 70s movie, like you said. But I knew I had heard a lot of those movie, uh, those songs before. But even more importantly, they had a, a, a sonic to them that made them feel, I think, at home or made you happy. You know what I'm saying? I it, it even What it actually reminds me of is how big All-Star was from Shrek <laughs> when Shrek came out. Because that was like part of the movie to a lot of people. You know what I mean? And so uh, when, when James Gunn did that, I was like, dang. I feel like somebody hasn't done this in a while, at least not like this, not like not not in this way. And so I, I remember just being like, dang, 
this is this is dope. Like you said, Pina Colada is now a song. I'm like, no, nah, it's Guardians. Uh, there's very few movies I can remember that have that song in it. I'm like, oh shoot, I I, I rem- I'm reminded of this movie. Maybe, maybe Pineapple Express. I don't know. But like, there's there's just a couple of mov- very few movies where I feel like you hear a song and you're like you associate it with that film all the time. Sure, there may be some, but Guardians was was really uh, doing that so intentionally, and I remember appreciating that. I think more than anything. Yeah, I mean, the use of the songs diegetically within the movie, the fact that the characters can hear what's being played a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, like Peter Quill is listening to that song. He's hearing it and dancing to it, like come and get your love at the beginning. Like we're also hearing it. And that just makes for a very visceral and different experience. And just seeing him dance in the way that he does, like the movie opens and it feels like we're going in Indiana Jones territory. And then all of a sudden he busts out dancing to come and get your love. And you're like, wait, what? What movie am I in? And it's like, I have forgotten the trailer that I had saw right before, mm-hmm. like I, I I remember seeing the trailer thinking the same thing, like, oh, this is weird and different. But you go into these movies and sometimes I think we just kind of expect the status quo and we expect mm-hmm. to maybe get the same experience that we're so accustomed to getting because let's be honest, many movie studios will will lean into that. They'll give us what we think we want. Yeah. And that's often the same thing. But then you go into the movie and it's like, oh no, we're in very good hands because he's not just going to do the same, the same stuff that we've seen before. This is going to be totally, totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, the last big thing I do want to hit on before we keep moving here is just kind of the the introduction and the relationship and how it ties all together with Thanos because Thanos does become a bigger badder idea within the MCU as we know with Infinity War and Endgame but it all really kind of started here I mean again he appeared in the Avengers but his first real presence in a film was in this movie even though it was for like two minutes it wasn't for much and Mm -hmm. Josh Brolin had been casted but we started to learn about the relationship between Gamora and Nebula which has become so so important into the storytelling and then also his relationship to Ronan who was the main villain in this movie I don't know if many people are looking back fondly on Ronan as like a great villain so to say mm-hmm. but he did serve a particular function to not only unite the Guardians but to also sort of tee up a bigger villain that was going to be on the way what did you think about them sowing them seeds you know here and here early in the story and how they you know ultimately played off in in, in the later movies that we'll talk about um, throughout this podcast yeah there there's some arguments to be made that that first Guardians like some of the most important ties in the Infinity Saga, right? Between Gamora, without Gamora and Thanos' relationship, Vormir never happens. You know what I mean? Like that's a very big piece um, of, of of how the Infinity Saga concludes. Um, as well, you just talk about Ronan, the accuser, man. And not only, of course, you know, the story between him and Drax, but it's one of the the earliest moments we get somebody who's Cree <laughs> into into the into uh, the franchise. You know what I mean? It's like Guardians is really doing a ton of work. They introduce nowhere, a planet that becomes very important. They introduce the Collector, another character that becomes really important again, and that's all of outside of the normal Guardians, which do end up being as important as they are into all of this. Without Rocket, uh, uh yeah, without Rocket, do you even get? What does that look like for Thor to get Stormbreaker in Infinity War without Rocket? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Nor Groot being the handle of Stormbreaker. You know what I'm saying? Like, I there's so much that that first Guardians, I think, plants in order for all of that other crazy galactic stuff to happen that just makes makes you feel or makes just makes me realize how important of a movie that really is man and i think it's part of the reasons why i like it so much too of course it's just a good movie to me in general right through and through but it's also like one of those films where i think they understood sure we can put some stuff here that may mean something for the future 
but they could also mean nothing <laughs> at the same time. Nowhere could have meant nothing. Ronan could have meant nothing. Thanos in his relationship to Gamora in, in uh, Nebula could have meant nothing, but they just made a good movie and they end up meaning something down the line. It's like, it's one of those things where you look back, you go, no, nah, that movie's important and more important than I think people realize because we're far removed from it. Next year it will be what the 10 year anniversary of Guardians of the Galaxy, which I can't believe I'm saying that. Where did time go? But that is that just speaks to, I think, the how, how long these 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 stories um, can be told as we're about to watch Guardians three next week. And next year is the 10 year anniversary of, of uh, the Guardians one. So, yeah, it's just it's 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 really amazing when you think about it, that impact. Um, that Guardians has um, in that MCU, but man, that like again, now I'm thinking, where would the MC, MCU be without them? Where would those small moments be without them? Because everybody knows, again, when Thor comes to Wakanda, it's one of the coldest moments ever <laughs> in the MCU, and so I can't imagine that happening, though, without Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't imagine some of those small pieces being implanted in, in some of those big moments happening without Guardians of the Galaxy, man. It, it really is, uh, uh, it's kind of crazy how integral they have become over the years. So their their impact, man, it's really, it's, 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 it's really hard to speak on it because it's that immeasurable to me. I mean, on top of the things you said, we can't forget it introduced the Nova Corps as well. That was a big, Ooh, big component yeah. of this movie. The Ravagers became a big component of this movie and future movies. Um, mm -hmm. The Collector is a character, you know, all of a sudden became super important. Him holding the ether, that Infinity Stone for, mm -hmm. for Thanos to later acquire. There were there were just so many building blocks, you know, that, that, that were established here. Um, to everything you just said, do you think it's the most impactful movie that marvel studios has ever produced because you just you said a lot there it holds a lot of weight in terms of everything that they've done so far and i remember specifically i don't know if you remember this probably but you know a few months after this movie marvel held that really flamboyant presentation where they unveiled all of their phase three plans which we had no idea about we saw movies like captain marvel pop up mm. we saw black panther pop up we saw i think another ant-man pop up we even saw and they haven't done it, you know, at this point. But we saw the uh, the movie that they were going to do with not the Illuminati, but the um, what's the other alien race? Not the X-Men. They didn't have the X-Men at the time. It starts with an I. I can't even remember it right now. The not the Immortals, not the Eternals. It was the TV show that they did on ABC that was really, oh, really bad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a uh, black bolt. Uh, yeah. And, Med and Medusa. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on this all of a sudden. No, nah, I'm blanking because uh, you're blanking. Um, but they announced that in humans. Inhumans, yes, that was so difficult to find. But they announced the Inhumans. We know that they didn't go forth with that. There was a weird trade-off between them and Marvel TV. All that to say is that they got really, really confident in their future plans. They got really mm -hmm. confident to announce a lot of projects that I don't think they would have announced if Guardians had not been successful, as successful mm -hmm. as it was. And so with all of that in mind and with everything you said, do you think it's like the most impactful and maybe most influential movie that they've released up until this point? Man. It's again, it's crazy. This is all in hindsight, but when you put it like that, man, it's it's pretty up there. And the only reason I'm second guessing myself is uh, the the existence of Iron Man. It's just the nature of Iron Man and how it's the foundation, right? It's the you foundation. Know? But Guardians told them they could soar. You know, what I mean? Guardians walked so, like you said, Captain America or Captain Marvel could soar. So all these galactic other galactic movies could soar and now i'm thinking like man without guardians even when think about just the landscape without guardians would thor ragnarok have been a thing you know what i'm saying like no 
it wouldn't I, have been. I just don't see a landscape in which that exists without Guardians. And so now you're asking that question, and I'm like, man, it might have it's 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 top two. I don't know if it's two. I don't know if it's one. But it's now now that you mention it, man, I think it's between that and Iron Man for how just yeah, for for how uh, uh, crazy they go after that moment after 2014 because that really is Loki. You could call it like the the Marvel Renaissance because really it's after Phase One starting almost and in, in Guardians territory. That's like like you said, banger after banger after banger. But Guardians showed them that stumping out of that comfort zone that is that first uh, uh, phase is was kind of it was sky the limit after that it was. We let's put this thing together, um, and but let's be we could be weird again, or we could be weird now in this moment. So, man, I I'm, I'm, I might be on the boat of it's it's pretty up there in terms of how influential it is. Again, it, it top two right now. I don't know if it's one or two yet, but I, I have to think on that. Yeah, I mean, I've long been on that boat that it, it it's up there for sure. I, I we can't overstate the importance of Iron Man and what Robert Downey exactly. Jr. and John Favreau mm-hmm. did in setting the tone for all of this. Like without that. There is no MCU. What I always like to think of Guardians of the Galaxy as, or at least the whole MCU as, I like to think of before Guardians of the Galaxy and then after Mm. Guardians of the Galaxy. Those, in my mind, are two very different Marvel Cinematic Universe experiences because before Guardians of the Galaxy, they were taking some risks, they were doing some different things, but it was very foundational. It was very much about introducing characters and bringing Mm. them together and starting to tell those stories in a bigger context as it relates to the villains and the heroes and where they were going to go. But after Guardians, stylistically, when you look at Marvel movies, so much of that is pulled from the writing of James Gunn and the direction and the style and the weird, quirky characters and the idea of family and humanity. And maybe they're not so heroic. Maybe they're just regular sort of people, quote unquote, that all of a sudden have to step up and be heroic in the worst of times. Right. And Mm. so. All those movies you mentioned, like Thor Ragnarok, even now, you know, most recently with like a quantum mania, like mm. I think that stuff owes so much to what was established in that movie. Again, I agree. it put the battery in Marvel's back to say like, hey, y'all, we're going to tell you the next five years of movies. And and and, and they, they don't even really like to do that anymore just because of the nature of how things change so frequently. But I remember so vividly at that time, like, oh, y'all are confident, confident now, like Guardians. <laughs> We can see like you're doing Captain Marvel and you're doing Mm -hmm. Thor Ragnarok and you're doing Inhumans at the time, at least Avengers Infinity War. It was like, oh, this stuff is really huge that you're going for these big, big cosmic swings. I just as I said, I don't think that they would have done that if that movie had not been successful. They probably would have had to pivot and maybe do some more grounded approaches and more, quote unquote, normal stories that, that would have been a little bit more digestible for the audience. But we do have to move on. I know we spent a lot of time on that first Guardians movie, but it can't be overstated how important that movie is. But as we transition to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 2017, comes out three years after the first movie, now they have been firmly established as like a new franchise within the MCU. As I said, the first one was super successful. People were eagerly anticipating the second edition. It comes out. It makes even more money than the first one. Critically, isn't as well received, but still very, very positive re- reception and feedback. Mm-hmm. And we were also in the midst of really, really ramping up to Avengers Infinity War. This movie came out a year before Avengers Infinity War, in fact, and it sort of set off a streak of massively successful movies for Marvel at that particular time because right after this movie, you had Spider-Man Homecoming, then you had Thor Ragnarok, and then you had, I think you had Black Panther right after that. It was just a really, really, it was a really high time to be a Marvel fan at that, at that particular moment. 
And, and the story here was more so focused on Peter Quill's relationship with his father. And we got the introduction of Ego, played by Kurt Russell. Whereas the first movie was a little bit about Quill and his relationship to his mother and how he ultimately got kidnapped from Earth after her death and had to deal with that in his young adult life to now trying to figure out, well, where does he come from? Who is his father? What is his true lineage? And we start to see, like, this guy is half celestial. There's more to him than meets the eye. And then you also simultaneously introduce a very well-known comic character in Ego, Ego the Living Planet in Marvel Comics, played by one of our most iconic actors. What were your thoughts on them, you know, sort of pivoting the story to focus a little bit more so on Peter's father as he started to strike up that relationship with him, while also the rest of the team is starting to grapple with this information and still try to find this place of comfort amongst them? Because that's, I would say that even in this movie, they still had not quite figured out how to be a family. Like, they were still trying to figure mm -hmm. it out because people forget that this movie is only set like four months after the first one. Like they're still yeah. super young in their development. So how did you think all of that played out in the, in the course of this movie? Yeah, I love, I think the idea of being like, okay, Guardians 1, this is how they become the Guardians. This is how they become the family. Guardians 2, okay, now what? Now what happens? Now what is it about? And, you know, Dave Bautista, I think he always said, this, these movies are about family and friendship, very basic stuff, right? But it's something about, now you have you found your family and now oh boy is trying to step up being like i'm your dad i'm also your family and what those two things look like because they both are very fresh for peter quill and i think that's what makes guardians 2 so interesting is so much so crazy of a premise it's like you've been with these people like you said about four months now your biological father who you have never met <laughs> is telling you all of these things about yourself and how does that split a person Right. How does that split this biological person who you barely know versus probably now? Sure. They still are trying to figure it out. But these are now your family. They're your best friends <laughs> and they exist with you. Um, and, but it's still a short amount of time. Which way and how are you split? It, I think that's so interesting. And I think James Gunn uh, uh, knew had a really good direction, I think, going into it, because that's interesting to me. That's like. You could write that not in space, and I'm interested. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You could write that somewhere else, and I, and I'd still watch it. And so I was, I was, I think, pretty prepared to enter the world of Guardians again. Um, that that told us those stories with all of those same quirks that we get for the uh, for that first movie, but but upped a little bit. You know, this is um, a, a, another movie where they start off in Baby Groot is dancing while they're fighting a big monster in the back. Low key, it might be one of my favorite openings for a Marvel film, just because. It feels so keen to who they are as characters. It feels felt so accurate to who they were. I was like, oh man, this this yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what would happen. Of course, baby group would be paying attention to nothing that they have going on um, in, in in here. But I, I I do just remember being like, okay, now it's time to get to the nitty gritty. Now it's time to get to where 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 what family means for Peter Quill and the Guardians. Um, I I do remember my only gripe with the movie probably was because most of the guardians had to take some sort of a backseat um and and i think that's i don't know you know that's a, a push or pull thing <laughs> regardless um when you make a movie like this we have to tell a story like this but i remember being again very interested in, in the story of, of peter quill that was being told yeah exploring that fatherhood 
and it, it they teased it at the end of Guardians one that you know oh Quill's father might be so and so and people had long speculated oh it's likely going to be Ego and you know it turns out that 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 was the case indeed but this idea of fatherhood and what that really looks like because for all of his life Quill never knew who his father was turns out it's Ego his biological father quote unquote still don't really know how that works but it works you know he came to earth and started impregnating a bunch of women actually he went to all sorts of universes and was impregnating them just constantly he had no <laughs> i mean he had no restraint at all he was just trying to find who was going to be his boy Shooting that he was going to raise to become a celebrity up. oh thousand percent any species <laughs> it didn't matter um and, and turns out quill was that one in a million that turned out to be special you know who did mm -hmm. i guess gain the celestial gene and was able mm -hmm. to to really manifest that power physically but then also while Ego is biologically his father, we really saw that the movie turns out to be more about his relationship with Yondu and how mm -hmm. that became super, super important. And Yondu yeah. was the one that raised him. And, and I think it speaks to that idea that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter who your biological father is per se. Oftentimes, that person who's in your life, in your corner, always helping you helping you sort of see the future and give you the advice that you need or maybe even tough love sometimes, that might be the person that you're actually more connected to. And Yandu and Peter had a very contentious relationship, like even in the opening of Guardians 1, they weren't great. They were often berating mm -hmm. each other, saying all sorts of crazy shit to each other, betraying each other and backstabbing each other. But I mean, that's not unlike many parental relationships with their kids. Like not everybody has a perfect relationship. Some people do have that sort of contentious relationship with their parents. And so I think it just reflected Peter Quill trying to find something in his life that he never had. Yandu was probably the most available person there. But Yandu mm. was also in a place of like, yeah, I'm trying to raise you, but I'm doing it. So I'm doing it in the way that I know how. And it might not be the most tender and sensitive way, but it's a way that I know how to make you, you know, the best man that you could possibly be, or at least prepare you for everything that's out there in the universe. And I think by the end of it, we saw that like Quill absolutely had love for Yandu, and Yandu most definitely had love for Quill. Like he mm -hmm. sacrificed his life for him, right? And so that idea of fatherhood was just such an integral integral part. What did you what did you think about Michael Rooker's performance just in that movie and just what he brought? Because in the in the first one, it was a lot of shenanigans and gags and back and forth between him and mm -hmm. Quill, and they were just outsmarting yeah. each other. And we got to see him use some of his powers, but in the second one is where all of the emotion really came through for Yandu because we even got those deep ravager connections, you know, when exactly. they brought in Sylvester Stallone and how he was mm -hmm. an outcast because of what he did to Peter Quill and kidnapping, you know, this kid. What, what did you think about just everything he brought to the movie? Man, it, it, it's actually another one of those things where I don't think people understand how deep it is until you actually have a, a conversation like this because Yandu was, Yandu had also had an idea of at least a family, right, between the Ravagers. And Sylvester Stallone's character, again, is like, no, I'm sorry. Like you may have the little flame on your jacket, whatever he says, but you're you you don't belong to us. You're no ravager of ours, and like you said, because of the things he's done. So not only is Yandu, I think, wrestling with the idea of not being accepted by the ravagers, now he also wrestles with. I think he's always wrestled with the idea of Peter Quill being his son, and which I think is always uh, such an interesting dynamic. Like you said, they've always. <laughs> yelled at each other back and forth and, and, and things like that. But Yandu had given, I think, Peter Quill his upbringing. It just is what it is. He grew up with the guy. And he, he even in Guardians 2, Yandu pulls up and everyone is like, all right, you got to stop protecting this kid. <laughs> everyone is like, Peter Quill? Come on, man. It makes you... It, 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 we feel like, Yandu's crew is saying this, we feel like you keep pulling up to uh, to help uh uh peter quill 
that means you don't love us kind of type thing. And Yandu's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I'm saying? He has to constantly feel like shut down, I think, how how he feels about Peter Quill being his quote unquote son or his makeshift son, whatever you want to call it. His his adoptive son, if you want to call it. It's crazy to to think about that. Um in, in the ways and dynamics and family. One, on one hand, the Ravagers won't accept you, which again to me is Yandu longing for family. At the same time, he won't accept Peter Quill completely as his family. It's like, dang, Yandu, which side are you on? So I think his character presented some very interesting conflicts in that film, which, again, like you said, he ends up very much uh, uh, loving Peter Quill. He doesn't say it <laughs> until later down the line. Um, but I, I, I like the journey that Yandu goes through in that film and figuring out what family means to him, but also what Peter Quill means to him, man. Because that's, that's like a whole nother, I think, part of the film that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about versus just uh uh him him and star lord alone it's like no yandu was kind of searching for a little family himself but he would never uh verbalize it i think in that way and i think part of the movie is yandu learning to verbalize that and verbalize uh peter quill being his adoptive son and how much he loves him yeah i mean you even get that moment towards the end of the movie when they're battling ego and yandu is trying to tell peter like I don't I don't have these telekinetic powers with this arrow because of my mind like it's because of my heart like he unlocks mm. that idea for Peter. Yes. And so the idea of like tapping into love to actually unlock who you're fully capable of being. I didn't it didn't even hit me when I first saw the movie. But as I rewatched it over the years, I was like, oh, my God, like that is a that is a beautiful lesson like that he taught him and, and, and that Peter had to pick up in the, in the worst of moments. You know, he's battling his biological father while his adoptive father is lying underneath a pile of rubble. Like what type of situation is that, that for any person to be with? And he also just, you know, a few minutes ago found out that his biological father killed his mother. He implanted a, a cancerous cell in her brain. Like it's just it's mind blowing when you start to take all of that into context and how much was happening in that movie. And it was just like beautifully done. And and that's why I've always loved that movie. I know it definitely got a little bit of uh, um, it, it wasn't as, as it, it wasn't as loved as, as the first one, and I think that there's a lot of validity to that because a lot of the other characters do get do get somewhat of a of a backseat in the movie. But when it communicates its ideas that are you know very central to the story, I think it does so exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. um, do quickly want to talk about some of those other big moments. Gamora and Nebula also have huge development in this movie. I think larger even beyond them, we start to see like some more some more adoptive members become a part of this Guardians family. Nebula yep. starts to low-key become a part of the family. And then even Mantis as well mm -hmm. is introduced as a new character by way of Ego. And she starts to become like a new member of the family. What did you think about just seeing that that idea explore and grow, you know, that this family was growing at the same time while it was dealing with, you know, this almost omnipotent threat, Ego, the Celestial, who was threatening to take out everything that they knew? Yeah, I, I, I started, I think, to conceptualize Guardians as being more than the the what original five people <laughs> that was in guardians it is the movie that you start to think okay wait a second technically guardians people can go in and out of guardians and still always be guardians the same way kind of that the avengers works right like there's been so many avengers <laughs> over the years in comic book history that like you could probably name a character and they're probably avenger at some point but guardians kind of I, I thought about that same thing but maybe on a I think a little more, of course, not only galactic scale, but people who aren't perfect or do or don't have perfect past. And, and, and Nebula very much resembled that. She was such an angry individual. She's like one of the most mad people, I think, ever in the MCU. She is just angry all the time. But it, it made sense to me that as I think Gamora matured, 
that I think Nebula also slowly started to come around and, and look like a guardian. In that, in, by that same token, the introduction of Mantis was, to me, 10 out of 10. I really like Mantis. I think she's hilarious. I think she's a great addition to the Guardians. Even, I mean, Mantis in the Guardians video game is amazing, 10 out of 10. Like, I was like, that's a good character right there. But the, the translation on screen as a Guardian made so much sense to me because of the dynamic uh, uh, of that group in, in, in Nebula and Mantis as characters. It was like, oh, shoot. Of course they could be Guardians of the Galaxy. Anybody can be Guardian, you know what I'm saying? After a while, you're like, anybody can be a Guardian of the Galaxy. So I really like that idea um, with the introduction of them. Uh, uh, not necessarily the introduction, but introducing them into the family or into the team. Um, so yeah, that that I loved it. I thought it made sense to what was happening at the time, um, especially because they didn't, specifically Nebula, didn't have like a perfect entrance, right, into the team. Literally, Guardians 2 starts off and they go get her from uh, what, what they call um the gold people all those golden people yeah Yeah, uh, but yeah yeah, they they literally go get her as like a reward for destroying the monster at the beginning and it's just funny like she's a prisoner at the beginning of guardians too you know what i'm saying and so uh, it's really cool to see how that develops between her uh, and gamora throughout time and then again how mantis kind of falls in their lap by way of ego i just i just think it's a cool way to be like okay we have more uh, we have more uh, uh, members now, and so I, I like that idea that it's just an ever going. Anybody can be a guardian. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to quickly call out some favorite moments from the movie. Uh, I have three, just like three notable action sequences, because I actually do think, in terms of action, this movie exceeds its predecessor. I think the action in this movie is is better. Um, not necessarily from a story perspective, but from just like a visual perspective and the, mm-hmm. and the ingenuity behind it. But I love the sequence of Rocket taking out all the Ravagers yes. um, uh, in, in the forest. You know, that was just incredible to see that. I love the fight between Gamora and Nebula when she just mm. comes in on the planet, on Ego's planet, full force with the with the ship and tries to shoot down Gamora. And then Gamora picks up like one of the rocket cannons, like just off of pure strength and tries to tries to take out Nebula, Crazy. which is really cool. And then the last one I'll just quickly mention, and I don't, you know, I always kind of forget this because you talk about like some of the, some of the more, uh, I guess, mean elements of these Guardian movie, movies. Uh, th- there's the whole sequence where Yondu is using his arrow to kill all of those, all of those people in that ship to, to escape. And like, that's a lot of murder happening, and I don't, I don't think we often, I don't think we often like really, really <laughs> digest that that he's murdering a lot of people, and him and him and Rocket are just having a great time. But there's that whole lead up sequence where Groot has to go find, you know, have to find the device to, to give it to him. But just like a, a few really cool moments. What about you? Any like key moments that stand out from the movie? Big, big, uh, big Taser Face fan for you in the in this movie? Did you did you, did you love what Taser Face brought to this movie? I do like that is one of the the funniest moments for sure when Rocket is strapped to that chair talking about Taserface man that 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 moment's pretty up there just because how funny it was I again I really like the opening something about it that just it makes sense to me Drax being an idiot and going inside the monster which they are telling him is just as thick in the inside as he is on the outside it's something about that that it just all that moment whatever however long it was five minutes is just like the most guardians thing ever which is why i really love um the opening to the film you pretty much named the other stuff man i really like rocket and the uh the the other um um, soldiers really try to step up to the guardians and find the guardians and they're being beamed up because rocket has that little device or whatever i really like that moment too 
Um, I don't know. That's that's pretty much it, man. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Th- I'm sure there's more, but off the top of my head, those are definitely some of my favorites. Yeah, a lot of big moments for sure. Let's move on to Infinity War. So this is the big crossover event. All the characters in the MCU were going to come together to fight Thanos as he was trying to acquire the Infinity Stones. And because of that fact, the Guardians played a very, very important role in this movie. They weren't just like their supporting characters. Like they were very much connected to the story because of the relationship between Gamora, Nebula, and Thanos being their father. They knew of his plan. They knew what he wanted to achieve. And they were really there as like the devices to help educate everybody else about what was going to happen here like we saw thanos in the in the opening of the movie he takes out the asgardian ship he kills loki he destroys hulk he damn near kills thor but thor is able to get away and the rest of the movie we start to see the pieces come together and how the avengers can start to coalesce and come together to fight thanos but it was really gamora and nebula who i think helped drive the narrative of the movie just because of their relationship with him again that was all so well established prior to infinity war but they just played such a super important role in this movie and and it was so important that the existence and the whereabouts of the soul stone were unknown to pretty much the entire universe except gamora she was the one Mm -hmm. individual that had all of the information necessary for thanos to acquire that stone it leads to a bunch of backstory that we see between their relationship and how thanos kidnapped her from her home world to how he ultimately manipulated gamora and nebula to being his two daughters and, and carrying out his bidding and then we saw it just result in, in the in the very, I guess I would say, sad death of Gamora. The fact that he had to sacrifice her in order to get the Soul Stone. That's what we found out on Vormir with the Red Skull. So, what did you think about just that important story beat? You know, really taking place within the within the the, the meat of that film because we had met all of the Avengers, we met the Guardians, but we hadn't really met Thanos. We saw him for like all mm-hmm. of thirty seconds across maybe three movies. This was now the time to really let us know what his motivations were, but then also let us know what those connections were with both Gamora and Nebula. Yeah, I love that when when Thanos finally shows up and we're seeing him completely in person and actually be a full uh, fleshed out character for the first time that we already know so, so much about him. I think that's one of my favorite things about Infinity War is like, of course, Thanos can just pull up. We know everything about him. We don't have to spend the time, per se, to know his whole story because we know uh, the galaxies that he's destroyed. We know these people. In Gamora and Nebula, whose lives he's somewhat ruined to a to a degree, right? We know the relationship he has with them. We know the relationship he has to Drax. <laughs> it's just there was enough there. We knew he was behind the the Chitauri army in the Avengers. You know, what I'm saying? there was enough there for us to be like, oh, yeah, this is fine. We don't need necessarily a a movie explaining to us who Thanos is. And so I love that we're able to jump right into the relationship things. And I also love that. This Infinity War now, in in a lot of ways, is about family, at least a fucked up version of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? At least to to a degree, it is about Nebula and, and 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 Gamora and their relationship to their father. But even even more so, how toxic of a relationship between Gamora and and Thanos it truly is. Thanos really is. It's crazy that leading up to this, Gamora and really thought. That Thanos didn't love her, you know, to to a degree, but because of the way that she had been treated over time. Or Guardians 2, Nebula is telling us the story that every time Gamora and her fight or have a sparring session and Nebula loses, Nebula gets a part replaced, which is why she looks the way she looks. Very fucked up shit from Thanos, you know what I'm saying? And so it's crazy because then when Thanos does sacrifice Gamora for that soul stone, or at least a little bit of moments before that, Gamora is like, you, 
ha ha you guys you got to do somebody you love you don't love me and tosses her i think it's the craziest it's still to me it's, it's probably top five still craziest moments ever in the mcu just because she was so sold that thanos did not love her enough to get that soul stone but thanos is so complicated of a character to where you kind of you understand where gamora's coming from and then when you see thanos shed that tear you absolutely understand where Thanos is coming from too. It's just a really cool, really cool like di- character deep dive moments that they were, I think, uh, um, inserting into Avengers: Infinity War. Again, mainly off the backs of, of a lot of those Guardians backstories of what we known about what we known about Thanos up until that point. Man, really, really well done stuff there. But I think I think it created uh, uh, again some of the more shocking, shocking moments of the MCU because of that groundwork that they did in those Guardian movies. Uh, for the most part, man, it was it was they did a good job. Yeah, Thanos is the ultimate gaslighter. Like he's the biggest gaslighter in the MCU. He will make you believe one thing that isn't necessarily true, but he's not lying at the same time. And what mm-hmm. I really loved about Infinity War and then what we found out also in Endgame is that. Gamora and Nebula knew him so well and they knew that like Thanos is a man of he's crazy he he's genocidal but he's he's not a man that doesn't have character at least like he's not a liar mm-hmm. they always said exactly. like he's not a liar even when even when Gamora tried to lie about the whereabouts of the soul stone he's like I never taught you to lie you don't get that from me that's why you're so bad at it that's that tells us about who he is as a person that he still has mm-hmm. conviction to a certain extent as genocidal and as crazy as it might be to wipe out half of the universe but those two characters Gamora and Nebula part of that stuff is reflected in them and how they walked their own path in their own life but they also still retain a lot of their own humanity and what they went through because the stuff that he inflicted upon them is just so painful and so terrible and traumatic that they have to find them they they have to find their way back to each other and find that love between those two which is often a huge huge battle to overcome because he pit those two against each other and then once they are able to eventually get to that place then he fucking kills Gamora right like he takes her off the he takes her off the 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 the, the playing board and it's really sad when you see that like they finally reached a place where they were starting to get better as sisters and they were finally mm-hmm. starting to reach that path and Thanos gets rid of Gamora and, and it's it's almost kind of Shakespearean in how it happened. And I just love like the way that they brought that all together and made Thanos even more important to them than, than what was previously alluded to. Um, another fun element, though, at least of Avengers Infinity Wars, just all the team ups that we got because the Guardians is such a, a big team. They split up. You had Gamora and Nebula with Thanos, but we also got weird combinations that i just could not have predicted you got thor rocket and groot who went off on their own adventure they had to go to nidavalir to get a new axe for thor and then opposite of them you got star lord drax and mantis who teamed up with iron man spider-man and dr strange to go to titan to ultimately Mm -hmm. fight thanos and so we got guardians flavor all throughout this movie they were really kind of the one team that had a presence amongst all the avengers like every avengers team was pretty much spread out between space and Earth, eventually in Wakanda. But the Guardians were present for all of that stuff. So again, it just reinforces how integral they were to the story. But what did you think about just those team up and those those pairings and those moments to see the comedic bits play off of each other? Some of the witty stuff that was said, like even between Star Lord and Iron Man, those two in a room together was which was crazy to see. <laughs> what were your thoughts on just seeing all that stuff come to life in, in Infinity War? Man, even in thinking about uh, how. Star Lord didn't know Missouri was what, what was it on Earth or something or in, said, in I'm America? Not from Earth, I'm from Missouri. I'm, from, I'm from Missouri. He's like that is on Earth. You idiot! It's just it's it's little moments like that. It's just like these. This is perfect. <laughs> this really is perfect um, because Star Lord is he knows the galactic stuff, but he doesn't 
necessarily know too much about where he comes from. But as a result, he's now paired up with this kid who watches way too many movies, <laughs> who is uh, uh, from Queens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, it's just crazy, I think, to think about um, the ways in which that goes down because it's they should be more alike than they are, per se. But it their nature makes them alike, not necessarily the things that they say. And it's just, I, I love that dynamic between um, them so much, especially Iron Man being as... He's like the dad of the group at that time where he's just him and Dr. Strange are like serving as two dads and Star Lord and Spider-Man really do feel like kids in that moment because they are they're just uh, kind of naive in that way. So I, re I really love that team up there, man. When it comes to Rocket, Groot in 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 uh, in Thor, man, what a I, before watching that movie that I could actually did not see that coming, <laughs> I think as as much. Um, because uh, how weird of a group it is. I Thor, Rocket Raccoon, and Gro is like the most comic booky thing I've ever heard them being uh, together at any point in time. But I could I could easily see a comic book where they'd go on a small adventure like they do in Infinity War, and that's why I think I love that team up. It feels so comic booky. Um, not only that, but there are two people in the MCU that are very unhinged: Rocket Raccoon and Thor. Two very unhinged people. So I was very excited to see, I think, where their adventure would take them um, and, and what quips they would say to each other and how stuff like that uh, uh, would go, man. But I, I love their adventure, too. Again, it was it was very much uh, a very galactic adventure. They were in space. They were messing with a whole star. But just to see, I think, the dynamic of, again, characters I never imagined seeing be together um, and the two unhinged ones at that was, was was pretty cool. Whether it's Rocket making statements about Thor's eye or I don't know, just anything, man. It was just really cool to see. And I, appreci I appreciate that that's the route they went. They were like, okay, we got to split these Guardians up. Half of y'all go over here, half of y'all go over there. The other two, they got to deal with their daddy. You know what I'm saying? It was like, okay, let's do it. So I love how, how much they were sprinkled throughout the film. Yeah, you, you can just tell that in the writing, Marcus and McFeely were probably having a field day, just thinking and knowing about the possible combinations of what they could use with these characters and putting, the, putting these scripts together. Because you take a, a, a Robert Downey Iron Man and put him next to you know Chris Pratt's Star-Lord and just, just imagine what they say to each other. And even before that, like when Thor first meets the Guardians and you got, you got Gamora admiring his muscles and, and Quill is jealous. And then they also <laughs> talk about his weight and he's like, I'm going to get a bow flex. I'm going to commit. Like just great <laughs> stuff. But... The highlight of the movie for me that I just always I feel like I just like watch it and rewind it so much because of how much is said in such a short amount of time. It is that moment on Titan when they're trying to come together and come up with a plan before Thanos arrives. Like you got Star-Lord and Iron Man like, let's figure out what we're going to do here. Iron Man is obviously losing patience. He he cannot, you know, put up with them. He calls he calls Drax Mr. Clean, you know, <laughs> which I laugh at every time. And there's even that moment where Star-Lord's like, hey, don't call us plucky. We don't know what it means. It's like, you idiot. Like, how do you not know what plucky means? But I think one of my favorite lines is where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, Flash Gordon, that's a compliment. And don't forget, I'm half human. So that 50% of me that's human, that's 100% you that's stupid. Or, you know, this. it's just stuff like that. It's like, who thought of that? Like, who came up with that it's idea? Crazy. Um, but it's really fun stuff. And you just like, before everything, you know, kind of hits the fan towards the end of the movie, you just get to see those really, really fun moments and energetic moments between all these characters. But the end of the movie did bring us, you know, one of the, 
one of the most devastating endings, I think, in cinematic history that, that many of us experience. Of course, that's the snap by Thanos. He achieves his plan, collects all six Infinity Stones, and wipes away half of all living life in the universe. And specifically, the Guardians that we lost were Star-Lord, Drax, Mantis from Titan. We also lost Groot as well. I think that was it, though. Gamora was already dead. Nebula got left behind um, to be with Tony Stark. That seems like everybody mm -hmm. that was accounted for. Um, so that took off half the players from the drawing board. So it really just left us with Nebula and Rocket by the time we got to Avengers Endgame. And so these two were very integral in the plan to bring everybody back, to resurrect half of all life that had been decimated because of the snap. And so Nebula and Rocket went from being Guardians of the Galaxy to low-key being Avengers by Avengers Endgame. Like mm -hmm. they were a part of that core group that yep. were a part of the time heist and we got to see them go on that mission and they went to places that they knew we had Rocket go off with Thor back to Asgard in 2013. Nebula was on Morag with War Machine in 2014. So again, just another interesting way to have these characters be influenced and infused throughout the rest of the story in the MCU because originally they weren't a part of the Avengers, you know, the first movie, they weren't a part of that original core team, but just due to the nature of how everything played out and because they were the only ones left behind and they had to deal with the sadness of losing their their fellow family members their fellow team members they had to really step up and become avengers and do the work of the avengers and also you know sort of report to black widow in that five-year time frame mm -hmm. as well while they were still trying to hold the team together what did you think about that decision specifically to have rocket and nebula kind of be the two that were left behind as opposed to maybe somebody who is a little bit more of a of a leader, I guess, from what we've seen, like a Star Lord, so to say, and 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 instead they decided to focus on Rocket and Nebula. Yeah, I think at at the time when they decided on who to snap, I I think they're already thinking about Endgame in that moment, right? I think they're thinking about okay, who is our team that's going to bring everybody back? Even before they snap them, <laughs> I think they're like, okay, who who needs to go and who's going to stay? And I have a feeling that one reason I. I, I feel like they didn't want to have too many leaders in the room, right? They couldn't have Star-Lord, Iron Man, Captain America. They're like, okay, we can't have all those people in the room at the same time. Some of these people got to go. And I think they they, they they choose Rocket and Nebula because of the, the, the story beats and the ways they can fit into the universe at the time. We know that Rocket is a, tech, a master technician. He's a very tactical guy. Um, and I think... That serves the team that they have at the time of Endgame, right? That that, that five year difference. Rocket is in some remote planet, <laughs> and, and and you know the the recon that he has to do uh, along with Carol Danvers and whoever else was part of that was, was Don Cheadle too. I think was a part of that. Uh, Ant Man, nice Black Widow, Ant Man, yeah. Black Widow, yeah, yeah. And I think. Yeah, I think they were like, okay, we need we need one character who makes sense for us, but also we need enough characters to motivate them to go. And I think that was easy. I think Rocket was an easy pick there. Groot, you, you keep Groot, Groot's not going to talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Groot's not going to really give you anything. Nobody can understand him. Groot can get snapped. Star-Lord, leader, we don't need the leader right now. Groot can go. Or uh, Star-Lord can go. And so Drax, eh, too much of a, he probably wouldn't help the planning enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Drax got to go. So I think they just found the right character to keep around to make that make sense for Endgame. And I think Rocket was a perfect choice. Nebula, I think they really do keep Nebula around because they knew uh, how we were going to get Thanos into our timeline or into the original timeline using the Nebula switcheroo. And I think that was, that was one of the main reasons they decide uh, to use Nebula. Not only that, but uh, um, in that all of... We, we just got got done talking about how 
important these, this family story is, Nebula also made sense to be one of the people, I think, that played a part in, uh, I think, all the shenanigans having to deal with Thanos. And so I, I thought it made sense, man. Uh, it, 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 it made it so like, damn, those are the only two left. Like, you imagine, like, you're watching Guardians and somebody tells you, oh, the next movie is only Nebula and Rocket. You're like, damn, but I think they wanted that feeling as well. I think they wanted you to be like, those are the ones that are left. Um, and, and, and to make that, that group really feel like it took a hit because it did outside of Gamora, for sure. It definitely took a hit. And so uh, I think they wanted that to be known. And those are the two that made sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Nebula works on a lot of different fronts when you really think about it, because she was left behind with Tony on titan and so to get back to earth or at least try to make that voyage back to earth having another handy person another mechanic you know on the ship with him to help survive for the three weeks that they were just like stranded out in space was very very important because tony he probably would have died within a week you know of just being out there by himself he's incredibly smart but she has that cosmic background that he did he did not have you know he had never really been to space so she served that purpose you already talked about the integration of that Thanos from 2014 into the current timeline. So that two nebulas story that they had to play with to connect those two pieces was, was really important. And then also just the knowledge that she had of knowing that Gamora had perished on Vormir. They had to locate all these stones in the time heist, right? They had to figure out the time and the place that they could go back to. Gamora was the only person remaining that knew that Thanos had returned to Titan without Gamora because Rocket was not on Titan during that battle Mm -hmm. and everybody else had dusted. So she was the one that could say, we got to go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone. Now, she didn't know the details of that plan and what it took to actually acquire the Soul Stone. She probably just assumed, like, I guess Thanos just killed Gamora for whatever reason. But the idea of the sacrifice we saw had to come to life, you know, more so with uh, with the arrival of Clint and Natasha on Vormir. So Nebula was was incredibly important. It made a lot of sense. You know, I think it made a ton of sense to have her there in Rocket, as you said, for all those reasons as well. And he's also been like the Cape captain of the Guardians, too. Like him and Quill have gone back and forth for so yeah. long. He's like, I'm the <laughs> Captain Quill. Like, I'm the one. This is my ship. So ideally he's already ready to step up and be a leader in that capacity right so i love what they did there i think that it all made sense and then we get the huge battle at the end you know probably the most iconic battle in in any marvel movie there's just so many moments and all the heroes return we get Mm -hmm. the the portal sequence and you see all the people that have perished return you get star lord back and mantis and drax and everybody's reunited but it's a different gamora because the gamora in infinity war did indeed die they could not bring her back because she didn't die at the hand of the snap she died because thanos threw off of, of a cliff so we get a, a little moment between between star lord and gamora where she doesn't really recognize him we're gonna see how those threats play out in this upcoming mm-hmm. volume three but um i guess before we wrap up the the, the in-game talk in in the in the small ways that they were able to you know sort of have those moments between the characters when they return what did you think about that there weren't many i think for the guardians mm-hmm. we didn't get really a ton of stuff from like mantis or drax so to say in that battle but they were present how did you feel about just at least having them back once everything was resolved and they were able to use the the infinity gauntlet to bring everybody back to life yeah i do remember drax stabbing a nigga like 15 times in his back <laughs> uh i do remember that um of course mantis being part of the I guess not everybody's favorite, but the woman empowerment scene of all the girls coming together, Mantis <laughs> was definitely in that scene as well. Uh, but yeah, it was it was just cool. I think to see them as part of the the the, the conglomerate, man, because it they're, they're now a team that has been entered within another team in in the Avengers, and so it was just cool to see see them be part um, of of again that I think that bigger yeah that that bigger collective, man. But yeah, it was it was it was cool to see them back. 
Yeah. So let's move on and talk about some of the other appearances that these characters have made in the in the subsequent years after the release of Endgame. The Guardians have still been a very important piece in the MCU as it relates to Phase 4, now moving into Phase 5. We had some appearances of the Guardians in the What If animated series. There was the episode where we had T'Challa all of a sudden become Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill, and he was a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. We also had the Guardians of the Universe episode that came together to fight Ultron as he started to collapse mm. and take over the multiverse. And Gamora actually played an important role there. You leave What If, and then you go into Thor Love and Thunder, where they don't have a huge role, but by the end of Endgame, we saw that they had picked up Thor. Thor was now just going to go on adventures with them, and so we finally got a bow on that at the top of Thor Love and Thunder, where they sort of you know helped him out with his initial adventure, and then they dropped him off. And then, of course, the I Am Groot sort of mini specials that came out, the short films that came out about a year ago, just kind of highlighting Groot doing things, having fun, you know, becoming more of a mature version of himself. We got to see him do a lot of different adventures that were fun and, and cute and adorable. But what did you think about just some of these like one-off appearances that were happening over the past couple of years? Just to, again, keep us up to date with where the Guardians were, not giving us too much before the release of Volume 3, but just showing mm -hmm. us like, this is what they've been up to. This is kind of where the team is at. This is how they also influence possible multiverse story threads that are going to be carried forth in the future stories of, of Phase 4 and Phase 5. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it makes sense in the service of the story. Thor does leave <laughs> with the Guardians. So it's like after that, you got to go. If a Thor movie's coming out, you got to go somewhere. Um, so it was cool to see him um, at, at the top of Thor 11, uh, Thor 11 Thunder. I thought that was cool. Of course, I really love the idea of T'Challa being Star-Lord. That's just a whole another, I think, can of worms and story that, that, that that's really interesting there. Um, I Am Groot was cute. You know, it was adorable. It It, it is what it is. But man, I, I really like when... I think they actually take the time to at least update us on some characters when we don't know where they are. Uh, or the fact that they they do drop off Thor so early in Asgard, or in, in, in Thor Love and Thunder. It's like, okay, Thor has now been dropped off. <laughs> this is where the Guardians are at this point in time. No more Thor. And so, yeah, I, I just really like when I think the MCU can do that because sure of course i love when things are can be isolated stories but i also love when you you can insert characters and be like okay this is still a universe y'all like they we still have to take care of them there's still things and appearances they have to make in certain places that is just it is what it is it's housekeeping in a big comic book universe let's do it because comics used to do the same thing low-key it'd be like last time on i don't know i was i was reading a comic with shuri in in uh miles morales and they have to tell you like oh shuri just got off of this planet or shuri just got done doing this thing this is how they got here kind of type thing so i love that they're able to translate that uh to films as well so yeah it, it just makes sense um but but i'm always happy to see where the guardians are man at all time yeah, the whole idea behind As Guardians of the Galaxy, I had always wanted to see where that would go. Um, it wasn't a ton of stuff in Thor Love and Thunder, but it was still nice to see that, at least in the beginning, like they were all together, they were with him. And they also got to see Thor's transformation, him sort of become himself again, because we know at the end of Endgame, like he was not himself. He was overweight. He was still yeah. sort of reeling from the depression of losing to Thanos ultimately. And while he was with the Guardians, I think that that's like a, a really key seminal moment, more so for his character than, than them per se, because he got to transform himself once again and start to find his purpose and find what he was going to do. And, and ultimately, once that movie kicks off, we know Gore the God Butcher is like the main villain of that. So he's able to just like 
part ways with them finally and say like thank you guardians look after you know quote unquote my ship even though it's not his ship and you know just go fight gore ultimately um so i thought that that was just a cool integration and a cool story thread that they continue from avengers endgame and so it was nice to see but really most of what we've seen out of them since infinity war came recently with the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which dropped this past winter holiday season. We talked a lot about this special on a previous podcast where we reviewed it, so I would definitely encourage people to go check that out to get our full thoughts and reactions to that holiday special. But for the purposes of, of course, revisiting the Guardians and their history in the MCU, we should just you know briefly recap and talk about you know all the big stuff that happened from that. And I think the one big takeaway, I think, from that whole holiday special beyond the story is the fact that it set up a lot of things that we're planning to see in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm-hmm. Things that we weren't necessarily privy to before seeing that holiday special, but of course things that will ultimately be paid off in this in this third movie. Of course the introduction of Cosmo will, was present yeah. in the holiday special. We also found out that they had purchased Nowhere from the Collector, and so now they are sort of the protectors and the keepers of Nowhere, which is that, you know, that, that celestial head that's out in the middle of the galaxy. And then of course the big story point that dropped throughout that holiday special is the fact that Peter Quill and Mantis are actually related. They are siblings. That is her sister. Um, or excuse me, that is his sister. And so we found that story thread out, which is why she wanted to do something special for him for Christmas. And so a lot of that is still yet to be seen in terms of how it's going to impact the story in Volume 3. But uh, what do you just remember, you know, after watching that a few months ago, of just like them setting the sowing the seeds of just the stuff that's going to obviously play a very, very integral role in the story that's going to conclude at least this iteration of The Guardians once we do see Volume 3 next week. Yeah, what it actually reminds me of now, um, now that we're kind of talking about it, is a lot of the movies, comic book movies we go see, we'll walk in and they'll give us like a comic. And a lot of times that comic will be the events that exist before the movie. And now that that's a holiday special kind of feels like that. It feels like one of those little mini one-off comics. It's like, okay, this is where our characters are. But it gives us uh, some canon like beats to, to, to go off of into the next movie. And so I, it makes that... Um, that Guardian special, I think even that more special. Of course, there's a sentimentalist of it all, the Christmas of it all. But man, Cosmo's part of the team. The Guardians now own nowhere. They are feeling a little more uh, uh, Novacory in that way. You know what I mean? They do feel a little bit more connected as Guardians of the Galaxy in that way. And then we figure out Peter and Mantis are brother and sister. It's like a that's a pretty big story beat. You know what I mean? I I, I can imagine going into Guardians three and you kind of miss that. You like. You're in the middle of Guardians 3 and they say something about it. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> Where did this come from? You know what I mean? So it makes it feel important, I think, in that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like that special becomes of that. It does feel like a comic that kind of exists before the main movie happens. And so I I, I thought it was it, it was good across the board. I really uh, I really enjoyed it. But now thinking of it like that, it's like, man. This is a very actually important piece of content that I hope I hope everybody sees before they check out Guardians 3. Yeah, it's kind of the first time even Marvel is played with that that idea and that type of experiment. They did film the holiday special while filming Guardians Volume 3, so it's very much connected to again what we're going to see in that movie, but they hadn't really done that before. Take something of a project on Disney Plus and directly feed it into a next theatrical release, right? And so mm-hmm. we're going to see how it all comes together and I, I imagine it, it it'll do so in a very in a very satisfactory way, but it was it was just nice to catch up with them, spend a little bit more time with them beyond just like 5 minutes like we actually got some 
substantial like 40 minutes. We got to see Mantis and Drax just randomly go to Earth and raise all sorts of hell on Hollywood Boulevard and at Kevin Bacon's house. Like it was really fun stuff. But beyond that, as you said, it is catching us up within the within the interim events of the the big notable things that happen between movies and between different events of seeing them appear throughout the MCU. So that catches us up. That takes us all the way into the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is happening next week. Before we wrap up here, man, we're going to see the movie this weekend. We're going to obviously review it next week on the podcast. What are you hoping to see? We do know for a fact that this is James Gunn's last Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Mm -hmm. The man is about to be super busy over at DC, shepherding that universe and also directing Superman Legacy at this point. And this is really going to be the last time we see this team together in this form or fashion. We don't really know what the future of the Guardians is going to be in the MCU. We don't know who's going to survive the events of this movie to even still possibly be around. So as the final chapter in this really impactful and influential trilogy within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what are you just hoping to see when we step into that theater this coming weekend? Man, I I, I hope to see, I think, the story of the Guardians, um, I guess, conclude with this particular group of Guardians actually say, okay, we give us some direction, I think, in that way and find some finality in the way in which this group's conclude. For example, when the first Guardians, it's like, okay, we are a ragteam group of people. We just happen to come together low-key. And now by the end of the movie, we low-key just saved the universe. Now we are the Guardians of the Galaxy. The second one, sure, it's a little bit more about Peter Quill and, and Ego, what's going on there, but it is, at the end of the day, still about family and what that family looks like and how who's going to have each other's backs, who exists where. That carries over into Infinity War and Endgame. We got the family back. We see the beginning of Thor, Love, and Thunder. They're still very much traveling together. They're all together. They seem like everything is fine. They're very much existing as Guardians moving to the holiday special. They are the Guardians of nowhere, as we have here. Um, and they they seem to be, I think, thriving in some ways, right? They People look at them to guard, for real, like actual Guardians of the Galaxy. People look for them. People hire them. People go to them for things they need. I'm looking for a conclusion to, okay, sure, there's going to be a conflict in this movie, right? Whatever conflict happens, I'm looking for where does the family end? Does the family end in turmoil? Does the family end in in some form of happiness? Does Star-Lord have to move on because of the conflict? Who who makes it? Who doesn't make it? I'm really just looking for, I think, a conclusion to, to, to that family aspect of what that looks like for them in the MCU. Because to me, that's a completed arc. You got the beginning. You got the middle. This is legit. A trilogy. I'm look, really looking for to what it means um, in in the the final moments of Guardians of the Galaxy, man. And wherever that takes other characters, who knows? There's been several actors and actresses who came out and be like, "Nope, this is my last movie." So you know, we won't see them again. But there are other people who haven't said anything who probably might show up again. So I'm looking for really, I think, the conclusions and answers to that. Who is going to continue past these Guardians movies? Yeah, this is uh, something I've been reflecting on quite a lot in the preparation for this episode, but just also obviously getting ready and excited for the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 movie. This is technically the first time that characters within the MCU will resolve and conclude their story within their own franchise. Because Mm -hmm. when you think about Iron Man, his story concluded in Avengers Endgame. It didn't conclude in Iron Man 3 when you think about Captain America. His story concluded in Avengers Endgame, not in Captain America Civil War. Even Black Widow, her story concluded in Avengers Endgame, and then we got a prequel film directly after that. Now is the first time that characters 
who've been a part of all of this stuff for the past 10 years will mm-hmm. properly end their story within their own franchise because Thor's still making movies. Ant-Man, we don't know what's going to happen with that. He's probably going to be in the next Avengers movie. This is going to present a level of finality to us that we haven't experienced since Avengers Endgame where it's like we're saying goodbye to characters. We're saying mm-hmm. that this is the door that's going to close on those stories. And I'm very excited yet somber about that because I know James Gunn and what he's capable of and I know he will fuck us up emotionally. And so I have to mentally prepare for that. And I also have to mentally prepare that this team, which has been so important and has been so integral to everything that they've done up until this point, will no longer be what it looks like. And Mm. that is simultaneously sad, but it's also beautiful because I love when things can end and end on their own terms as opposed to sticking around longer than they need to or wearing out their welcome. I would much rather them go off in the sunset and conclude the story on their own terms in the way that they want to and give us hopefully what's to be a satisfying ending that wraps up all of these different threads in, in, in the ways that we hope and, 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 and would like to see out of them. And I think that in the hands of James Gunn and in, in the hand of this cast, you know, that's been just such an important piece of this whole bigger MCU project and experiment over the years, I have a lot of faith that they will be able to pull that off and achieve that with this with this third movie. And so we will have to certainly see this upcoming weekend but folks with all of that out the way that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we'll actually be back later this week because we're gonna do our first ever summer movie draft that's right we're gonna draft some movies you gotta tune into that episode to get all the specifics so be on the lookout for that and of course we're gonna come back next week with our in-depth and comprehensive review of marvel studios guardians of the galaxy volume three we're gonna go check out that movie this weekend and we'll be back next week with the full breakdown spoiler filled details all the big moments and memorable things that come out of that movie we'll be back here next week to talk about it in full detail so be on the lookout for that but until then we will see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 happy may and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy we out y'all peace